Allen dives, and did he make the catch? He did. He got it. There we go. Time to party. Right here. 3-2. High in the air. He crushed it. It's a grand slam. Swing and a miss. Strike three. It's over. The Red Sox have won the world championship. Welcome to Benny and the Bets podcast. Can you believe it? Here's your host, Terry Cushman. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bats podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball. Tonight, however, we will be continuing on with our three-part interview with Porter Fisher, who was the whistleblower of the Biogenesis Alex Rodriguez scandal. He is featured on the Netflix documentary Screwball and is the founder of the Porter Project, which is dedicated to keeping kids off of steroids and promoting clean and fair competition across all sports. Porter, welcome back. Thank you. So uh, basically, um, I guess I want to start by encouraging the uh, listeners, if they haven't heard part one, definitely go back, uh, listen to that one. It was a bit of a longer episode, but it'll uh, get you everyone completely up to speed on uh, where we are uh, picking back up for part two here. Um, And, you know, that, as I always say in every intro, we are available everywhere, every single platform. And um, so go ahead and feel free to get caught up. And I guess just to do a partial recap, um, you know, things basically started, you know, going the wrong way with Anthony Bosch when you uh, basically loaned him $4,000 and what ended up becoming uh, or what was ending up being agreed upon as an investment, you were doing some marketing uh, work on his behalf. And then a week or two into it, he's not holding up his end of the deal. Things are starting to look shady. You're starting to hear it from other people in the office. And then you know, he, Bosch basically just isn't, you know, coming up with the money, which you guys agreed upon. You started talking to new times after discovering all kinds of documents connected to a lot of high profile people, most notably, uh, major league baseball players, Alex Rodriguez, Ryan Braun, Melky Cabrera, to name a few. And um, the article hasn't been published yet. We haven't gotten to that point, but just kind of give us an idea of what was going on, you know, a couple weeks leading up to the article being published. Um, okay. I think, yeah, what we left off last time, we were kind of, it was the touch point where um, things were getting really contentious between me and Tony because uh, I was basically coming into, into work, quote-unquote, um, every day, looking to find Tony to get some of my money back. And, uh, you know, like we like we spoke about the people, I was hearing rumors here and there about uh, why there was no money, uh, why it was only a cash-based business when Tony was there, 
you know, not paying rent, not paying cable, not paying employers and so on and so forth. But um, uh, after I'd uh, taken the documents and, you know, stored some of them and uh, found my way into the other ones, um, when when I was recalling on uh, a statement Tony Wood said one day about needing the documents, that's all he ever needed. He didn't need anybody else. He could do this job out of the back of his car is when I decided to really start looking into these documents to see what, what was so important about them. And, and like you said, that's when I started find, seeing names and, uh, and and baseball players and references to uh, RPO, which was Real Players Only. That was a segment that him and his brother um, sexed, cordoned off for, for professional ball players, um, collegiate and major league. And um, I started seeing these little uh, – notations here and there and i had gotten contact with uh, i tried to get to contact with espn but i eventually got in contact with tim elfrink who was one of the original writers um of the story when manny ramirez was involved in uh, 2008 i think uh 2009 um, i'm pretty sure actually 2008 2009 was when there was an article uh with Manny Ramirez, and it was connected to the Bosch family, uh, the, the the father Pedro Bosch and Tony Bosch, and uh, I originally found him, contacted him, and uh, then started sitting. I showed him what I had. He'd asked me if uh, his main concern, and and rightfully so, uh, for him and the paper were how legit these documents were, and if they were in fact Tony's. Uh, and if, because, you know, when you see names like this and you, see, you know, those are some pretty hard accusations and uh, there's no putting the genie back in the bottle once you, once you pull the, the, the trigger on a story like this. And so they were really, really apprehensive uh, to make sure that these were the documents that, or, or legitimate uh, information. So they took their, uh, their sweet time uh, verifying and re-verifying and double checking. Uh, a lot of the information that I had given to Tim. So by the time I had left Tony, which was at the end of October, um, we were well into November, uh, December, and this story wasn't even, I, I didn't even know when this story was coming out, and this was coming at the at the uh, beginning of the year, in the first part of January, and I still wasn't sure when the story was coming out. But every time I'd asked him, I'd heard, just be patient, be patient, you know, we have to, you know, cross all our T's and dot our I's. So... That's what was going on with there. Um, so there was a good two-month period there where I didn't really have any contact with Tony per se, um, and I thought it was just a dead issue. It was a, uh, I'm just not the story, but my connection with Tony. I wasn't going by the business, and uh, he wasn't reaching out to me. Um, apparently, he had written off. I, I'm not only guessing. Apparently, he had written off the documents um, as just in my possession. I don't think he had too much of, uh, of a clue at this point, at least not initially, that I was doing more of these documents. I'm still surprised that he didn't take it remotely as seriously as he probably should have. Well, that that's the thing, Terry. I, I didn't, it's not like I had the, the documents. In fact, I, at the very initial, I mean, at the part it was, it was uh, Ricky who called me up and asked me if I had, uh, you know, some the books that were on Tony's desk or, you know, some paperwork. And, and then, they, you know, they said some paperwork books. They never had, you know, the file folders and they, they weren't, didn't seem too concerned about the, the 
you know, seven, eight legal boxes I had. Um, but when I said, you know, I, I really can't think about it. I'm too concerned about the money you owe me. Being a wise ass, um, seemed that Tony kind of dropped it from there. Um, and it, it seemed like he was more concerned about not giving up the $4,000 than he was getting the books. And it's not like I ever said to him, well, give me my books or give me my money and I'll, and I'll give you books. I never, I never threatened him like that. I never blatantly walked up and gave him a, an ultimatum with the books. I was just waiting for him to turn around and, and uh, give me my money. And when he never really did, that's the funny thing. They just kind of sat there in limbo. Um, as far as I was concerned with biogenesis, I mean, Tim and Newtowns were very interested in, in, in them and I'd given them copies of them so they could do their research. But the books were kind of in limbo. Um, nobody was knocking on my door for them and, and Tony sure wasn't. So again, you're right, that is kind of shocking and I think he kind of tried to keep it quiet because he didn't want Alex or any of his other high profile uh, people to know that, that he was so careless uh, with their information. Right. Yeah. And th that does make sense as well. But geez, he, you know, he ends up paying a hell of a price down the road anyway. But um, yeah. All right. So, so there wasn't much dialogue now going right up to when the report was, was published. Like, did anybody have any clue before it dropped? Well, I think somewhere along the line, uh, during the the investigation or, or the checks and balances that Newtown was doing, that they were asking questions, and and I think it initially started to trickle out to Tony that uh, there was a story that was going to be made because about right before uh, the, the end of the year, uh, Tony's brother Ashley reached out to me and was asking uh, what it would take to to get. The documents back and uh and i was like I, I like my money back and he was like well you know how about if i give you a thousand dollars i'm like no this isn't you know wheel of fortune this isn't a, a game show i'm not playing with you well what if we give you half and i'm like no this it's i want my money back and i thought it was, again i thought it was kind of odd that that they were trying to make a deal or or, or or find a reason not to give me my, my total amount of money back, which at this point right now was, was, uh, out of the $4,000. Um, and when you, when you figure out that the, the, the 20% that he was offering back, I had already received back some money. So I, this was $3,800 was, was the, this end result right now. And I thought I found it odd that out of between Ricky, Ashley and Tony, nobody wanted to pony up $3,800 and there was more of a game to them. So again, I was, I was taking offense to that. And at this point right now, it really wasn't, uh, the documents themselves weren't really uh, a bargaining chip for me because I had already given these of at least the, the initial to uh, the New Times. So it's not like uh, I had something that the New Times wasn't going to get or that I could bargain with, oh, well, if you give it to me, I won't show the New Times. The New Times already had it. I knew that. So I was just kind of basically playing cat and mouse to give me my money back. And they just kept song and dancing about that. So those, and I want to say discussions, because there's only about an hour or two discussion of text back and forth with uh, Ashley. And Ashley wanted to call me, and I said, I really don't have any, really want to hear your voice. I just, 
tell me what you need to tell me. And I wanted in text, I wanted kind of in writing because uh, I wanted to be able to walk up and say, this is what you said you would do, what you failed. And again, it wasn't to a phone newspaper type of, of uh, scenario. It wasn't, I, didn't, I didn't see this turning into any kind of national media. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> and almost international media in the end. But I, I, I guess it, it's also interesting that where they were trying to play, let's make a deal for you, you know, for a lesser amount for the, the files, which were really priceless or should have been priceless to them. Um, you know, the fact they were only trying to give you a a partial amount just shows that they never intended to to give you back the full amount that they agreed upon. Well, and and, and to be honest, and, and looking back in hindsight, and, and like I, I said last time, it, I don't know how I feel about being so uh, gullible or or you know having that trait where I kind of believe stuff face value. But the fact that I never said, "Oh, I'm going to bring this to the media." Or the fact that I never turned around and said, oh, my God, I've got you because I've seen Alex's name in there. And I recognize some of those things. The fact that I never said that, maybe they thought I didn't know what I had. Maybe, you know what I'm saying, because I didn't walk up and say, I've seen your documents. I've seen what you're doing, and I'm going to get you. Because I never said that, maybe they thought, wow, Fisher doesn't even know what he, what he has. I, I'm, get, I'm looking back at it. If I turned around and would have said, hey, by the way, You've got all these ball players in there, and you're screwed as soon as I let this this information go. Oh, I bet you that four grand would have come up pretty fast. You know, yeah, I, I, true. I'm sure if I would have put it that way, if I would have framed it that way, uh, the money would have come fast, or they would have they would have gone mommy, daddy, and borrowed the money. You know, like Tony used to do for his rent, but they would have found the money real fast if I would have framed it that way. But I never did. So maybe they thought that that I didn't know what I had, and you know, I think I don't want to say smart because I didn't plan it that way, but I think that turned out better for me. Times could work story. Um, and again, I never asked them, "Hey, do you do you know of anything? Have you heard of anything?" But I thought it was kind of odd that you know, a month and a half, almost seven weeks after you know uh, my, my cup ties with Tony, that his brother's calling me up. Now, again, could that be because he got a whiff of the story or somebody got a whiff of the story and it was coming closer or, or maybe New Times asked, uh, you know, different people and they tipped him off saying, hey, I think it might be going. No, that's all not my part. And so the, the report finally publishes. Like, how bad was it immediately? What was day one like? After after the report was available on newspapers everywhere, it was available online. What was the first twenty four hours? Well, let me the the seventy two hours before that was the was probably worse. Oh, really? Okay, okay. Take us back to that. Well, because again, I'm not doing much of anything. I'm kind of I'm you know I'm still going by Boca Tani Club. I'm. Uh, I'm not doing protocols anymore. I'm still, you know, I'm at the house and, and I'm not really, it's not like I'm hiding out or anything, but I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not out and about as I used to be. Not that I was a, a clubber or anything like that, but um, I got, that's when I got the call on a, a Friday night um, from Pete 
and Peter called me up and he's like, Hey, let me ask you something. He goes, is there a story that you're going to, that, that's coming out in the, in, in the paper about, uh, Bosch and A-Rod. And I was like, uh, well, I don't know how, and I'm kind of a little bit shocked that Pete's calling me. I'm like, well, I don't know, uh, necessarily how much it is about, you know, Alex Rodriguez. I said, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking to the, I'm talking to the new times about Bosch. And he's like, well, what the fuck are you doing that for? And I was like, well, wait a minute, hold on, Pete. You're the one that said that I should talk to the papers. She's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I was like, remember when I told you that I sat in your office and I told you that I did something kind of stupid that I'd seen, been seeing Bosch and Bosch ripped me off. And we got this, this you, you told, I, I, I said, hey, even his ass, and you said no copies of the press. Well, I never said that shit. That's exactly what you said. I said, that's what kind of gave me the idea to talk to the New Times in the first, or the papers in the first place. And that's when I started looking up stuff. He's like, well, I didn't know you're going to go, you know, do an article. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, this is, I'm talking to a reporter right now. And now I can tell in Pete's voice that, that this isn't, this isn't going over well. Or he's not happy. And now I'm starting to go, well, wait a minute. What, how, who got to him? Why is he calling me? What's the connection here? You know? And then, uh, he's like, well, what's in this article? I just, I, I don't know stuff he had, you know, the people you talking to and people that he deal with. And then he, that's when he says, is Oogie in this book? Now I have to address the fact that Oogie might or might not be in the story. Now, again, me and Pete never really discussed Oogie and what I now knew about him, you know, when Ricky said that he's nothing more than a steroid dealer. Um, and I didn't want to get in the conversation because that would automatically kind of implicate Pete as that type of person because he had been in business with Ubi at Boca Body. But, uh, go ahead. Well, just to clarify here, now, you said you were surprised that Pete called and he previously wasn't really on good terms with Bosch, correct? At least leading up to the article. In, right. Okay. <laughs> So his primary concern here is Oogie. Yeah. He wasn't calling on, I don't think you do this, or, uh, or even even with Alex's name. But again, at this time, his relationship with Alex or any kind of relationship he ever tried to promote isn't there. He's calling about the article, and he's like, is Oogie in this article? And I'm like, well, I, no, I, uh, uh, uh. No, I, I don't think so. And he goes, that's what he's like. No, he better not be. I'm telling you right now, if, if Oogie's in this article, do you have any idea what you're doing? Oogie's going to kill you. you. I swear to God, you're going to be killed. This is not somebody to fuck around. This is not somebody to mess with. This guy will kill you. And that's when I start to freak out because that's the first time anybody's ever said, you know, cut and dry how serious this is. And for somebody who normally, I mean, not like really, really hardcore friends, but somebody who never in the past ever threatened me or ever ever got into a, a situation where I thought that he, you know, wasn't my friend. Not that he wouldn't have my back, you know, I would think. But for him to straight across come up and say, hey, this guy will have you killed. Now I'm putting in my head, okay, wait a minute. The only way he would have known is if somebody would have called him. Some, Oogie must have called him, you know. I mean, there's no way that Pete would know about this or, or make the call unless somebody would have called him and said, hey, make sure Oogie's not in this story. And that had to have come by Oogie himself. 
So I'm going, wow, he's calling me late night on Friday on behalf of Oogie to see if how bad this story is. And so I'm like, no, no, I don't, no, I don't, uh, I, I, I'm almost sure he goes, well, you better make sure that it's not. Now, that's the thing, even Pete never said, you got to stop the story. His concern was about Oogie's name being in the, in the paper. So I don't even know at this point in time if Pete really gave a shit whether Bosch was getting in trouble or not. But he's like, look, uh, and I'm, and I, so I'm starting to freak out. I'm like, well, what do I do? What do I do? And he's like, you, uh, you gotta, you, I'm going to come over. I'm going to come over. And Pete had never been to my house before. And he's like, I'm coming over. And I'm like, I don't think that's a good idea. And he's like, uh, no, no, I'm coming over. I'm coming over right now. I'm like, I really don't think that's a good idea. Cause I'm coming over. Fuck. Where do you live? Text me your address. So I text him my address and now I'm really freaking out. I'm like, cause Pete's coming over. And I start to worry that maybe he's not off. So I turn around and I go and, and I grab, a, I have a nine millimeter at home. So I turn around and grab the nine, mil, nine millimeter and I'm going, thinking, what do I do? What do I do? Um, do I let him come to the door? Do I, do I wait outside? What, what do I do? Because now this is like real life. This isn't the movies anymore. I really don't know what's going to happen. And so I'm like, I, I, I don't want to be, I can't wait. I can't have him come by and start banging on the door and me not open the door. Uh, as again, I'm, I'm at the guest house at my mom's house. <laughs> I don't want somebody banging on the door, you know, 15 feet away from her bedroom window, you know, o'clock at night. So, okay, it's for us to handle this out in the front yard. So I turned around and I had a, an old Honda that I was working on and I had a tarp over it. So I turned around and I was like, and I'm kind of frantic. I'm going, okay, do I hide behind the car? Do I hide in the bushes? Do I hide stand behind this tree? Do I get behind this wall? What do I do? What do I do? And I'm like, you know, no, no, I'll get in the car. So I got in the car, pulled the tarp back over it. So I'm sitting in this car and I'm buzzed. I've got a loaded nine millimeter and I'm shaking like a leaf and I'm waiting and I'm looking to do this crack in the tarp. And, uh, and about 10 minutes later, you know, Hummer lights come around the corner and uh, when you, on um, the street I lived in, you didn't come down the street unless you either lived on the, ha on the, on the street, there's only five houses or uh, that's the only reason why you came down there. You were either visiting somebody or you lived there. And so at this hour, when the lights turned on, that's when my heart was racing because I knew it was Pete and hopefully alone, uh, you know, didn't know if he was alone. So I sat in my car and I waited and he, and he pulled up and he got out of the car I started walking to him, and I'm watching him through the tarp. Um, he's walking up to, to my front door, and, and I'm looking, and I'm still looking at the Hummer to see if anybody's getting out, and I'm seeing if I can see a silhouette. I don't see anything. And he's knocking on my door, and uh, I come walking up behind him, you know, with the gun. It was cocked because I didn't, I didn't know what he had and what his intentions were. And uh, he's knocking on the door, and I turn on to Pete, and he turned around, and he's like, oh, there you are. Yeah, let's go. Wait, what? dude, put the gun away. You don't need that. What are you doing? And I'm like, are you alone? And he's like, yeah, of course I'm alone. What are you doing, man? Put the gun away. And I'm like, was somebody here to kill me? Is Oogie here to kill me? Are you here? And he's like, stop that shit. Just go inside. Just go inside. So I uncock the gun and I go inside with him. And I'm like, you know, you want something to drink? And he's like, no, 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 I'm not here to drink. I'm here to drink. What's, what's going on? What, what's the story you're talking about? And then we got into the discussion. I'm like, well, this is the story that I told you I was, I told you I was going to, 
uh, I wanted my money back, and 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 I and I told you I was going to do a story. In fact, Pete, it was your idea, and I mean, him went back and forth about. It. I didn't think you were going to do it. Uh, you want your money back, and so he, he, I'm telling him, I go, I didn't mean to get into this. What I don't know what's going on. I just wanted my money back, and then he's like, Well, what do you, what do you want from Bosch? What what is it you really want? And I go, I want my money back, and he's like. What, but what, what's this all for? What, what do you want? And I'm like, I, I just want my money back. He goes, what, what the fuck do you really want? And I go, I want that fucker to pay. That's what I want. I want that guy to pay. Because at this time, again, I think I told you, I, I felt like I was abused, bent over, just some, just he just walked over me, give me money, uh, and wasn't going to pay me back, just, just conned. I felt like I'd been taken advantage of. And, and I didn't like it. And he's, so I said, yeah, I want him to pay. And he goes, well, we can make that happen. He goes, uh, but that's not, we got to settle this first. Where are these books? I go, I, I have. And he goes, you want me to get your, your money back? Give me the books. I said, uh, and he goes, I'll get your money back. I'll have it for you tomorrow. Just get, give me the books. I was like, okay. Now, again, I wasn't at this point, I wasn't about to start expanding on information that I have. Uh, other boxes, you know, uh, I have, you know, he didn't know what the, 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 he didn't know the extent of the stuff I had had. And he walked right by the, the, the legal boxes in my foyer. Um, so I turned around and walked to my bedroom and I had him in the closet and I turned around and, um, hand him the four books. And he's like, this, these are them. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, all right, I'll call you tomorrow. And I was like, am I good? But it's, 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 do I have to worry about somebody coming to my house? And he goes, no, I'll take care of that. I'll take care of that. You're good now. You're a hero. And I'm like, well, he goes, you're a hero. I got, you're a hero. I said, okay. Okay. And that's, that's kind of showing my shoulders. I go, okay, I, I guess uh, you've got the books and I'll get my money back. And I'll just guess I'll have to deal with the next shoe dropping when the story comes out. But the whole time, Pete never really said, oh, you know, uh, uh, now when he look again, looking in hindsight, when he says, you're a hero, what? Because I'm not outing Bosch? Because I'm not putting Googie's name out there? No, I think what he was referencing is that I'm a hero because Alex's name is not going to get out there. <laughs> well, okay? Quick question, quick question, though. Yeah. How, how How is he aware that Rodriguez is connected to this? Did he get that from Because No, no, here's the thing. And, and what's weird about this weird little triangle, <sighs> Pete has a tanning salon. Him and his brother have a tanning salon. Okay, and I'm going to do connect the dots here. Bosch, um, Bosch was introduced to A-Rod by Oogie. Okay? Doing that. There's two separate stories, two separate timelines going on here. Bosch is introduced to, uh, who actually, Bosch was introduced to Yuri, which is A-Rod's cousin, through Oogie. That was the connect point. Okay? All right. Pete and Anthony own a tanning salon. Okay? Well, when they go into business body with, that's when they touched. Okay? Wait, you, you broke up a little. When they went with the tanning salon, what happened? Well, Pete and Anthony own a tanning salon. When they started to open up that little spa in their tanning salon called Boca Body, that's when they went into business with Oogie. Now, going into business with Oogie, that's where they met Bosch. Okay, so now they know each other. Well, A-Rod fits into the situation because there was a gym that uh, called Somi Gym, uh, 
about a mile away um, in a warehouse district that was like a little private gym. Um, and it was run by a guy named Willie Soul. And uh, Willie used to be an ex-LA fitness instructor. And he had opened up this small private gym. Well, it used to be owned by a, a trainer called Dodd Romero. And Dodd Romero used to train Lenny Kravitz. And he was like a small-time celebrity trainer. Well, because Dodd was a client at Boca Tanning Club, and Oogie had started the Boca body with the Carbones. Oogie met Dodd. Dodd became A-Rod's personal trainer here in Miami. So Pete got to meet A-Rod through his friend Dodd, the trainer. Okay. That's how that's how this is weird. Like I said before, that Miami's only like really like two degrees separation. Um, you ever seen all those pictures um, lately of J-Lo walking out of a gym in, you know, her leggings or her new sneakers or she's walking out with A-Rod? Um, all those pictures, and they actively are. They, those are taken at So Me Gym. Um, I think it's, and a side note, I think it's kind of funny that even after all this stuff and the story and, and uh, the coming to Jesus that A-Rod had to do and, and uh, the DEA and the MLB, that A-Rod still goes to the same gym and goes to the same guy, Dodd Romero, uh, as a trainer, as he used to. And that's where, and that whole little side thing, that's where I think Oogie got into selling steroids because that's what Dodd's need. And I'm not really ever sure that A-Rod on steroids because of something way, way back in his past, or if he went in, into it because of the personal trainer, Dodd. But steroids and, and Dodd go hand in hand. Okay. Yeah, I mean, see how this all gets really, really clouded on who knows who and where. And, and so Pete knew A-Rod by association. He didn't know A-Rod by hanging out with him and one-on-one, -on -one, that kind of stuff. He knew it because... Oh, I'm buddies with the trainer, and now he's your trainer. So when they went by the private gym, you know, Pete would go there to work out, but also at the same time, A-Rod and Cameron Diaz are there working out. Okay. So that uh, that explains why why Pete was, you know, his one of his primary concerns was A-Rod when this uh, article did. Well, yeah, and, and, and the thing is, is and to be honest about it, Pete seemed to seem to like, you know, rubbing shoulders with, uh, you know, the rich and famous or the A-list or B-list celebrities. I mean, you know, when, you know, the big show was a client of Boca Tanning Club and he cozied up to him real fast. He liked going down to work out again at Somi Gym um, only at certain times, only when he knew A-Rod and Cameron Diaz was there, just maybe so he could just, I don't know, lift a weight while they were riding a bike 15 feet from him. Maybe it, that made him feel important or someone. But um, he, I guess during this whole thing, he wanted to be the hero, at least to A-Rod or A-Rod's people or Yuri or someone, somebody by being the one that got these books back. And when, when the word came out, I think, again, when the whispers came out that this story was coming out, 
when it all started to point back to me, somebody had to have walked up and said, well, you're the closest one to Fisher. You go talk to him. Okay. Because if, if Oogie would have called me up, I don't think I ever would have picked up because I've never spoken to Oogie on the phone. You know, if some random number would have called up and said, hi, I'm associated with AWOD or, or an interested party, I don't think I ever would have talked to anybody. But I think they, they turned around and said, okay, we got to, we got to, uh, Put out this fire or control this as much as we can. Pete can talk. Let Pete talk to him. He, Pete's his buddy, or Pete, or he'll listen to Pete, kind of thing. I think that's why they sent Pete, not Anthony or anybody else. Okay, so when you you give Pete the books that night, and he calls you a hero because he thinks everything's suddenly off now and that nothing's going to get published, do the books go oh. f- from him to A Rod? Well, that's the thing. The very next day, I turn around and get them get a, a, a text, say, hey, come by the salon. I was like, okay. And so um, I'm on my way up there, and he's like, you know what? He goes, go to the gym first. I got I to gotta meet some people over here. I, he goes, go to the gym first. I said, okay. So I went to LA Fitness, and then I, you know, I'm done, and I text him. He goes, yeah, come on by. So I go by the the salon, his office, and uh, he's like, I'm like, hey, how's it going? And he goes, good, good. We're real good. Turns out and pulls out an envelope, and Tosses me an envelope, and I was like, "What's he goes? It's your money back." And I said, "What?" And he goes, "Yeah, four thousand dollars, man. Four thousand dollars torture. Get your money back and go." Well, it's kind of actually, it's thank you, but it's you know, it's heavy. It's like four hundred dollars heavy. He's like, "Ah, buy yourself something nicer. Buy yourself something for you know to put for putting up with this shit." And I was like, "Wow." I said, "So everything's good?" And he goes, "Yeah, yeah." I said, "Okay." So, uh, and he goes, "Yeah." By the way, Bosch looks like shit. I go, "You you saw him?" He goes, "Yeah, I saw him." I go, where'd you see him at? I go, he goes, oh, I had to keep his game. And I was like, oh, yeah, I saw, apparently, I saw that fat fuck wiki, and he had never seen it. And I'm like, oh, he's with him? Now, again, it was a shock to me that wiki's with Bosch, because there was a time between October, and again, it's it's almost another story, but time between October and, and the very first of January that Tony and Ricky had a falling out. So I was kind of surprised to hear that Pete, when he went out to keep his game, ran into Tony and Ricky at the same time. And he goes, yeah, yeah, he looks like shit. He goes, there's a, he goes, it looks like he hasn't slept in days. I go, well, what was that? He goes, yeah, because there's a bunch of paparazzi out there too. And I was like, really? And he goes, yeah, a bunch of people wanted to talk to him. And I was like, okay. And he goes, yeah, well, yeah, there's some money. All good story. Everything's done. And again, you're a hero. I'm like, I have nothing to worry about. He goes, no, no, you're a hero. I was like, oh, oh. I said, so do you give books? And he goes, no, 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 no. I got the money from him. And I was like, so what do you do with the books? He goes, oh, I gave them to A-Rod's people. And I was like, A-Rod's people? Uh, why the fuck would you do that? And he goes, Porter, this is a big fuck boss. He doesn't need those books. A-Rod, uh, I gave them to A-Rod. And so Pete was the one that gave the books to Alex. Okay. That, that's, again, so, that's what the dots were, you know, kind of connecting like in yeah, my mind. And that's, and that's, that thing, that's the, that one that doesn't really come out in any of the paper stories because, again, you know, a lot of the papers were just how, uh, you know, implicated A-Rod and, 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 and MLB's tied to it and uh, Alex being famous. But the books, you know, came went from my hands. I got 
from Bosch to me to me to Pete from Pete to AWATCH people. And when I when I say AWATCH people, um, there was a name, um, and I'm trying to figure out the name because uh, please forgive me, everybody. I'm trying to remember the, this person's name. There was a name that that uh, uh, I was associated with. They said, "Oh, do you, you do you know this guy? I think it's Pena or something." And I'm like, "No, I've never heard of him." And they're like, no, no, we heard that uh, that he paid you. And I'm like, I don't even know the name. I don't even know who you're talking about. Um, what I put together is, and it'll come to me, it's like a brain fart. Um, this was, there must have been the guy that Pete uh, gave the books to. Because, again, I doubt very, very highly that Pete gave these, handed these documents or these books over to AWOTS people without making a dime. I'm sure he got paid somewhere along the line for, for these as a token of thank you or as a good job or something. But he didn't hand over these books without making some money on them initially. You know, I don't, I just don't believe that. So I think that name, that guy, Pena, I think that's the guy that paid Pete. And I think that's why there was this misconception that I got paid for handing over these books. I never got, I got my $4,000 back, which I told you at the time was only the 600, but that gave me my full envelope before. So I did get my money, but I Pete. Now, where that money came from, again, did it come from Bosch? Did Bosch borrow from somebody else? Did Was Bosch the one, was it out of Bosch's pocket, or did AWOD give him the money to give to Pete? I don't know. And the sad thing is, is you'd have to get uh, AWOD to talk about that. I don't know. I don't, I don't know where the money from, so I can guess. Uh, that's where we are on that. Yeah, and you know, if we don't know at this point, you know, we probably never will because <laughs> he's, you know. Yeah, and, and 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 at the end of the day, it's I don't think it's really that important. At the end of the day, either Bosch finally ponied it up, or he bought it from his parents or his brother or whatever, or Arod turned around and gave him the money and said, "Give this to Fisher or or whatever, make this go away." I mean. At some point, he he would have had to call up Alex, and and the funny thing is, probably somebody else. I don't think it, it, I can't believe that, that Alex is the only person that phone call, you know. Right. And uh, so, at this point in time, um, and I did the going back to tonight before when uh, when he was all concerned about Oogie's name being there. I called uh, Tim Elfrink. Uh, at the time, and I got his message, but I got it. Uh, I, I called at the time in front of Pete to ask him, "Hey, uh, I, uh, you know, Tim, I just want to let you uh, call up. I'm, I'm kind of concerned. Please, please, when you do this story, whenever that is, if you do the story, please make sure that uh, Oogie's name is not uh, in this article at all. Uh, I think my life really depends on it." And I left Tim a message. Now, the next day, Tim called me back up and goes, hey, I got your message. Well, what's going on? And I kind of told him what was going happening. And he was even telling me, well, there's really no way we're going to stop this. I said, no, I'm not talking about stopping the story. I just want to make sure that Oogie's name isn't in there. I'm not getting any threats from any, you know, to being killed by anybody else at this point. And he's like, no, 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 Oogie's name isn't in there. That's not where we're at in the story. I said, okay. So I was assured by Tim that Oogie's name wouldn't be brought up in, in, that, in that first article. And... Uh, Pete seemed to be happy with that or satisfied with that. And so at this point, um, Pete kind of believes that the story is not going to happen. Um, I really wasn't, 
leading them the other way that it, that it was or wasn't going to happen, but I was kind of letting the story die. So this is on a, on a Sunday, okay? Um, now, the funny thing is, is I the New Times usually comes out, the hard copy comes out on Thursday here in town. And I thought that's what uh, I was waiting for. That was going to be the day. That was going to be D-Day. So I had a couple of days to prep for myself. Um, but I didn't know that the online uh, edition came out on Tuesdays. So this is a Sunday when I get my money from Pete's. And uh, one day, you know, I'm, I'm like, okay, I decided to go to a different LA fitness because I didn't want to go to the normal one because of all the drama that just happened over the weekend. I wasn't really in the mood to run into Pete or Oogie. So I went to a different LA fitness on Monday. It was fine. Tuesday rolls around uh, about 9.30 in the morning. I get a call from Pete and he's like, oh, did you, what the fuck, what the fuck? And I'm like, what? He goes, did you, did, the world's blowing up. He goes, all shit is, all the shit is hitting the fan. And I go, what are you talking about? And he goes, that fucking story, boy, that fucking story. And I'm like, what? No, Pete, that's, no, that's, um, that's a story that's still up in the air. I still not, don't know if it's going to happen or not. And, you know, it doesn't come out till Thursday or, or you know, Thursday's the, the due date. And he's like, no, it's out now. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? And he goes, it's on, I've just been reading it online. And I go, well, what does it say? He goes, everything. It says fucking everything. And I'm like, he goes, the world is fucking blowing up. It says everything. My advice to you is, he goes, I'm packing some stuff right now. I'm taking off for a while until some of this blows off. My advice to you is do the same thing. Do the same thing. Blow town for a little while. So I just turned right around and went home and packed a bunch in my car, you know, and just took off and went up to Ocala. I had family up there. So I, there was a there's a secluded house up there on a on, there's a private property up there that I knew that was pretty safe and nobody would ever look for me there or even find me there. So I just went up there to hide out there for a couple of days. Um, about four days into it, um, you know, Pete's, well, actually the, the next day and, and a couple of days other Pete's blowing up my phone and I'm just not answering them. So he wasn't, days. he wasn't convinced that, you know, even if it came out, A-Rod necessarily wouldn't be in the article Am I right with that? And maybe it was more about Tony or no? I think, well, I think, and again, I'm not 100%, but I think Pete's thinking was that if, if they weren't going to run the article because of Oogie, then the article itself was dead. Okay. And then it would come out. And then when the, and again, I don't know that Pete really wanted to say, because he never, all the time, you can't do this. Because uh, he could have at any point in time said something like, you don't want to mess with Alex. You don't know connections. At any point in time, he quite have walked up to me and said, hey, I'll, Alex will give you 50 grand instead of your four. You know, that, that, that all that could have happened or something. But there's no offer or anything like that. Alex Lee wasn't even, wasn't even coming up even by Pete's mouth. I think Pete must have assumed that if the story was being killed and I was scared of Oogie, then the story itself would be killed. And I, and, and I honestly believe, too, that once this story came out, that actually Pete was scared, too. And, and, and there, was, there was a fear on Pete's part because he was saying that he was blowing town. And I think maybe that he got some pressure back on him that, you know, hey, we sent you over there to 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 quiet Porter and, and kill the story and you didn't. Now 
you're part of the problem. Yeah, you see and, what I'm saying? and when he when he handed over the books, you know, maybe there he gave some assurance, and I'm only speculating, yeah, obvious. Exactly. Maybe you know. And again, remember I said I don't think he did this for free. Maybe when they gave him money, he gave him some kind of assurance, like, yeah, I I, I hooked you guys up. Uh, it's not going to so forth. Don't worry about. It. And again, a lot of the stuff is hindsight. Looking how these guys conned me and, and what kind of con men the Carbones were with Alex later and MLB later, I don't put it past Pete at all to, oh, I'm going to make some bucks off these guys. Yeah, yeah, story's dead. Story's dead. Give me 10 grand. I don't know what he got. But again, I know he got something. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm, I don't know 100%, but I'm very, very certain that he got something for handing him those books. Maybe he said, yeah, don't worry about it. Story's dead. Story's dead. I took care of it. Give me some money. And then and now he didn't deliver because the story was out, okay? The fact that, that he took off and went up to New York for a couple of days means that he wasn't comfortable being down here either, okay? And you know, the stuff down the road that makes me believe that, that Pete wasn't initially on board with it, not that he was against, but he, what he didn't, he was getting either. Um, and, and again, maybe that's just me being the gullible guy and, and there's nobody on my shit list more than him and his brother right now. Um, and maybe I'm giving him too much of the benefit of the doubt, but there's, there's certain things that either he was playing me really, really close to the vest later, which could be definitely be the truth. He, he, he did it for the whole time when he was conning me or that know where he stood with uh, A-Rod's camp or with Oogie. The, the thing is in this whole thing, nobody was worried about Bosch. You know, nobody was worried about Tony creeping out from under a rock and trying to get you back. That's not Tony's nature. Tony's too much of a fucking pussy for that. Um, but Oogie was an unknown. And Alex and all these other professional people who's now, now their career's in jeopardy, those were unknowns. So I don't know that Pete knew how to navigate that either. I don't even know, even with his, his panache for conning people, I don't know if he was prepared for that. And so when you head up to Ocala, how, how long do you have to stay up there? I was probably up there about four or five days. And the thing, when I went up there, I, I took, I, I grabbed a bunch of, like almost all of them, um, uh, legal book, legal uh, folder files. Actually, I took about four out of the seven, so that's all I could fit, four out of the seven legal boxes and threw them in uh, my car and went up to Ocala. So when I stayed there, I had taken like four of these boxes and put them in a, in a, I want to say public storage, but it was a much, much lower rent kind of place. They didn't even ask me for my ID. I just gave them months worth of rent. And I said, I just want to do month to month. Gave them a bullshit name and they gave me a really, really small storage spot. So I put these boxes in there. So I had four, about four and a half uh, legal boxes of files in storage up at Ocala. And I had like you know, two or three still Miami. And after you had done that and you're up there for four or five days, are you kind of like... No, no, Pete calls. No, Pete calls. I finally picked up the phone. He was blown up my phone and I finally picked up the phone and he's like, what's going on? Well, last time I'm up at O'Kelly, he told me, I said, how's it down there? And he's like, you got to come back down here. You, you got to come back down here. And, I, and he goes, how long are you going to stay up there? I said, I'm not sure. Am I still in danger? And he's like, no, because I this I think this stuff's gonna blow up. But you, you got to come back down here, man. We got to talk this through. You've you've ruined my life. 
I go, I've ruined your life. And he's like, yeah, you, you have no idea. I might, might put my wife in danger and my kid in danger. He just had a newborn kid, a girl. Uh, it, it's all in the, you've turned my life upside down. And I was like, that's when we got an argument. I've turned your life upside down. I said, how are you fucking involved in this in the first place? You're the one that turned, I don't, who, who, who are you connected to? Who am I talking to now? Am I talking to, who am I talking to? Who are you talking for? And he's like, no, no, come up, come back down, come back down. And I'm paraphrasing a lot of stuff there, but I was kind of really questioning on, you know, who Pete was, why is he calling me? Um, what's the, everything was a game now. Everything seemed to have an angle. But I knew I had to eventually go come back down. I couldn't stay at a, at a guest house or a lake house up in, in Ocala for, forever, you know? I went back and I just really, uh, uh, going out, going anywhere I used to go. Um, I changed all my habits. Uh, I went to different grocery stores. Um, I really was staying inside basically the whole time, becoming a hermit. And I uh, was talking to, um, I had no conversation and started talking to one of the girls that worked at Poker Tanning Club. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I really want to go up there. I miss you guys. I haven't tanned in a long time. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, 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 that's a shame. She goes, uh, I don't know when they're going to let you back. I go, well, what do you mean let me back? Oh, yeah, I, I heard you were banned. I go, banned? What would I be banned for? And see, now, again, you don't know who's playing who I'm going, why would I be banned? What have I done that Pete would ban me from the salon? I mean, how did I hurt him? What did I do to him? So, um, I turned up and I said, right. And he's like, no, no, no. And so I started getting, you know, pissed at him. And I was like, you know, this is bullshit. Uh, I, I don't know what side you're on this, 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 this. And he's like, well, let's talk. And I said, no, no, no I don't feel like talking. And then, uh, like two days later, he comes and goes, "Hey, I think it's time for you yes, to talk." So, I met him up at uh, uh, a church parking lot, which is about two blocks from my house. Again, I didn't want to meet him at my house, and I didn't want to meet him in private anywhere. So, this church parking lot is right off a of main road, and so people are pulling by all the time. They're stopping at a stoplight. There's cars all over the place, and so I pulled up, uh, and he was already there, and I pulled up. But there also happened to be about 50 yards away in the parking lot, a, a, a cop. And I don't know if he was doing this paperwork or looking at his computer, but I saw a cop car there. So I felt like pretty decent. So I get out of the car and, uh, and Pete's there and we, we, we start talking about uh, what, what's going on, how, where, where were you, what, what are we into now, so on and so forth. Then we started to get in an argument because I told Pete that I thought that he was playing me, that, uh, you know, who's you working for, A-Rod? I didn't, you know, you been playing me the whole time, this and that. And it got to the point where it got into a yelling match, and uh, I thought it was going to turn into a fight, uh, which would have been a bad idea on my part because I don't think I could have taken it. Um, it was, and he's, and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, no, no, I seriously will kill you. I said, yeah, yeah, what are you going to do? And he goes, I'll, I'll do what I've done before. I'll snap your neck and drag you and leave you over there in the bushes. And I, I was like, I, I kind of froze for a second because six years before, there was a guy who's passed away now. He, he was a friend of theirs, and, and the guy just OD'd recently, shows you the people they hang out with. When they were first opening up the salon, this guy's name was Muzzy, and he said that uh, 
Pete was was questioned and wanted for uh, a supposed murder up there where he got into a fight with somebody and got into a wrestling match and Pete snapped his neck and left him in a park. And at the time, I don't know if that was Muzzy just throwing out, you know, campfire scare stories or what, you know, and it wasn't set in, 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 in the environment of you got to watch out for these. I, don't, I forget what kind of environment was set, but it was kind of like, you know, Pete's a tough guy, Pete's a tough guy. So at the time, I kind of took it as bullshit. But six years later, for Pete to make that reference to me made me really think, and what if that's true? To the point where I started getting on the Internet and I started looking for references to the point where I was, I, you know, Tim Elf, you know, that, you know, that some kind of unsolved murder. And, uh, and Tim was saying, yeah, it's possible. You never know. But it wasn't something that Tim was going to go, you know, uh, digging hard to look because Pete wasn't the story. Right. So. Now, again, all these things where, you know, people that I had known before or I just, you know, saw people I walked up and shook hands all seem to be part of this dirty, dirty, dirty side of Miami. You know, you're talking about one guy who you you liked, you hung out with. It's not like you partied with him, but you hung out with him. You saw him almost every day, always tweeted you good. Could be an ex-murderer and gangster from New York. Then you know, Oogie, a guy you walked by and shook his hand and thought he was a spa owner and a liquor store owner. You find out that he's a steroid coke dealer. You know, another guy who went to your high school was uh, a year above you, was giving you protocols, making you look good. And I find out that he's a cokehead uh, guy who's giving this to kids and MLB players. It seems that everybody that I'd run into um, was somebody else. And again, I'm sitting there going, why didn't I see this? Should I have been looking for it? Do you, do you want to become the guy that, that questions everybody and always doesn't look at people at face value, that always thinks that there's some kind of hidden secret? So, but it's happened. Almost everybody down here has turned out to be somebody else. And so, you know, things aren't going well with Pete. You know, that bridge, you um, know, seems yeah, to be burned. Yeah, and that's the thing. While the story was out, and then now it's got not going good with Pete. Now I'm not really talking to anybody. Now I've shut myself off. I'm staying indoors. I'm really, really worried about, about. And I'll get a, a call here and there from a, a girl at the salon saying, "Yeah, uh, uh, people are coming by and asking questions." And I'm like, "Well, what people? She goes, reporters, you know, cops, you know, come by." Now she said, "Cops." The, the actual thing is, is there were no real cops coming by Boca Tanning Club. It was the MLB posing as Because they were calling themselves detectives, referring to themselves. Were, yeah, definitely. Ash and badges. I don't know what these badges said. But, um, I don't know. Head for I don't know these uh, security saying. But they weren't cops. But, but people were assuming they were. And I was getting worried that a lot of people out there were looking for me. So I was just staying under the radar, not wanting to go outside, not wanting to talk to anybody because I didn't know what to say. What was I going to say? Um, and in that time, uh, in the middle of the night, it wasn't I wasn't allowed from where I was sitting. But uh, you, you heard these two pop pops and uh, and glass breaking. And uh, I kind of stayed in my room, kept the, the, the door closed because nothing had come through my glass. And I kind of freaked out and stayed in there. 
and next morning I went out and uh, I already I put up uh, plywood on the inside of my I'm sorry on the outside of my windows to uh, so people couldn't see in kind of like uh, uh, hurricane shutters for that never got taken down kind of thing that way people couldn't see whether I had a light on where they couldn't see whether somebody was home driving by because I had to keep the, I had to turn the lights on at least I didn't even know I was hiding and kept the lights on. Um, but I, I walked out in the living room and uh, the glass was glass on the uh, on the living room tile floor and uh, you walked around to the front of the house and there was uh, two holes. So I guess somebody drove by and took two shots in my front window. And, um, and you found so you found this the next morning after not being too concerned about it the night before. Well, it's not that I wasn't concerned about it, but it was it, it was like a, a a very very faint pop pop, and you, you heard like a, a a glass break. But I was sitting there kind of almost freaking like I didn't want to go out there, so I just kind of stayed in my room and stayed there, stayed there, stayed there. The dog wasn't barking. Dog initially barked when the glass broke, but the dog was fine. And I'm like sat there, sat there, sat there. Had the door locked and everything, and I was like. Okay, I had to stay here, go back to sleep, went back to sleep, and the next morning I, I got up and I went out there and looked at it. And I was like, okay, so was that a scare tactic? Who knows I live here? Who would do that, right? And again, every time something happened to me, I had to try and figure out what camp this came from. You know, when would this be Awad's camp? Would this be Bosch's camp? Would this be Oogie camp? Would this be the Pete camp? And even at this time, I never really put anything on the Pete camp because I didn't think that they had, and I say Pete, the Carbone camp, because I didn't think that they had anything to, uh, to gain by. I didn't think that they had anything to reason to scare me, um, scaring me because I wasn't taking, I wasn't exposing them. I wasn't doing anything specifically to harm them. There was no really beef with them. The beef was that I thought we were friends, you know, whose side are you on? And kind of like, a, uh, you know, we're going to come to blows, but n nothing to the point where you have to do this or you're going to get hurt kind of thing. So I never really kind of, so I kind of assumed that it was, it was Bosch. I kind of assumed that, that Bosch found out where I lived and drove by and, and, and just popped something up to, to out the window. You know, I, I mean, I could do this now in, in Miami or that maybe it was Oogie. Okay. The Oogie, the Oogie part more worried me, but again, I, I stayed in, indoors. Um, but the point that it really got to a head is I, this is like four weeks after this, the, the story hit is, um, I would leave my house by hopping over the back fence, walking through a construction site and, and getting my car over there that I had parked on the construction site. I had two cars, so I would have one parked over there. One was a beat up truck. So I got in my truck and, uh, I went to the gym, which is completely on the other side, opposite way I would go and was working out there and I had to do something. So I'm driving back to my house and uh, I'm going down uh, side street and I'm, I'm about to reach the corner that I, that uh, to turn onto my street and I turn on and I see a car coming out of that street, making a, uh, a left towards me. And again, you're not on that street unless you live there or you're visiting somebody there. And so this person is pulling out of the street and we kind of like look at each other when we're past each other. I turn on and make the right and I look in the rear view mirror and I see the guy putting on his wake lights. So I turn around and kind of pass a little bit, but pass my, 
because now the industry turns around. I barely make a corner. I'm just barely making turning back down my street. Now now he's coming back down my street. Now I'm getting worried. I was like, okay, shit. So I, you know, step on it. I make it up to the next stop sign. And when I make up the next stop sign, I'm doing a rolling right, and he's turning the corner back two blocks away. And I see him, and I was like, uh-oh. Now I'm, I'm driving a piece of shit truck, so I have no get up and go on this thing, really. So I book it down in about three blocks from where I live is, is the old parrot jungle. It's an old uh, tourist attraction where I, I worked as a kid. Um, they have like uh, macaws and other birds there. It was more of like a park now. So I come whipping up into the park before he turns the corner. And I fly around one of these big trees, and, I, and, and I'm still kind of moving, but and he comes flying down the road, and he doesn't see me. So I was like, oh, great, I lost him. So I come flying out of the parking lot, and I start heading back in the opposite way. And I look in my rearview mirror, and he's at the light. Again, I thought I'm going the opposite way of him now. And all of a sudden, I see the reverse light comes on, and he starts smoking him, going backwards. Now I'm really getting worried because I'm like, this guy's smoking his tires in reverse. He wants me. This guy wants to, wants to get a hold of me. So I have no idea what's happening now. I think, I'm thinking to myself, is this a hitman? Is, is this Oogie? Uh, somebody wants to get me, and I don't want to meet this guy. So I'm starting to book up and down side streets in my neighborhood. Now I know the neighborhood. I'm, I've been living there all my life, so I know where the streets are, this and that. And this guy's, I don't think does, because he's having a hard time keeping up with me. Well, at the time, I'm frantically I'm looking for my phone. I grab my phone, and I instinctively call Pete. And I had not talked to him since we had that argument. He picks up the phone. He's like, yeah. I said, Pete, is somebody following me right now? He's like, what are you talking about? I said, do you send somebody after me? And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, is somebody trying to kill me? Because I figured if anybody knew that there was a hit on me, it would be Pete, right? And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. So you swear to God, he goes, I don't know what you're talking about. And he goes, what's going on? I said, I got a guy on me. He's tailing me right now. He goes, come by the salon. I said, I don't know if I can shake him. He goes, come by the sign. Get here as fast as you can. He goes, I'll pick me up in the parking lot. So now I'm beelining it through back roads, trying to make it to South Miami, which is about five miles from my house. So I get on a road called Red Road. There's a canal on one side, and there's uh, opposite traffic going the other way and side streets on the other. And I come flying out of one of these side streets. This is about three o'clock in the afternoon from flying out of one of these side streets and start fishtailing on the road and I'm trying to head south and I'm booking it south and it's not easy because it's school traffic and this guy is tailing it right behind me he's whipping out in the street too and he, like in between cars and he's going around cars to get to me so I'm going a little bit off-road around cars in the grass trying to get a couple cars ahead of him trying to make it to lights so I'm making it to lights. I'm basically, basically honking my horn, going through lights, and well, cars are coming in. And now we're coming up on schools, and I'm weaving in between kids, and so's he in between kids crossing the street. And I finally make it into uh, South Miami, where it's a little bit more congested with, with businesses. And I pull a slick move where the cars are coming. He's like three cars back. I make a, a, a left into a, a it's, it's a convenience store called Farm Source, which is a drive-through where you pick up beer and and, and uh, milk and stuff like that. I whipped it into a drive-through, and he came flying up behind me. Well, there's a car behind me. He came flying up the car right behind me, so he's kind of trapped. And another car came behind him. So now I've got him pinned in, 
And when it comes to my turn to the register, I just keep going straight. So now I've got him pinned between the car. He can't, there's no way for him to get out. He has to wait for the car ahead of him to go. So I come flying into a dentist's office and I park behind the dentist's office. And so I'm sitting there I'm, I'm, and just real quiet, just waiting for a couple minutes to see if I can lose him, right? And uh, the guy comes out of the office and uh, he's like, hi, can I help you? I'm like, no, no, I'm just uh, just sitting here, I'm just sitting here. He's like, no, this is for patients only. I'm like, I just want to sit here, you know, just give me a couple seconds. And he's like, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. I'm like, oh, shit. So I call up people quick. I said, hey, I can't make it to the salon. I can't make it. And he goes, well, where are you at? I said, I'm down the street from, from farm stores. And he goes, I'll meet you there. So I said, okay. So I'm waiting a couple minutes. The guy's telling me I got to leave. I got to leave. I said, okay, great. So I, I circled the block once, and all of a sudden I see the guy that was following me again. And he kind of sees me. But now we're in a situation where I can kind of get on the road, but he has to wait. So I get on the road. I go up like two blocks, take a left. And I go down to, to uh, Winn-Dixie, and I come whipping up in the parking lot, and right there is Pete's uh, branded. He was driving a, a like a Mini Cooper. It was, actually, it's the, the Fiat, the really small Fiat. And uh, I see him, and I, I park the, the, the truck real quick, and I jump out, went over like two cars, and I jump in the, in the car with him. And he goes, who's this fucker following? Who's this guy following? I go, you don't know. And he goes, no, I, don't, I have no idea. I said, you have no idea who would be following me. And he's like, no, I don't. I said, well, hang tight because the guy's been on my ass all afternoon. He should be showing up. I can't shake him. He should be showing up any, any minute. So we're waiting. He's like, no, no. Who the fucker is? I said, you know, he goes, I'll find out who he is. All of a sudden, guy behind him. Now, looking for the mini, he's not looking for the Fiat. He's looking for my truck. He pulls up behind my truck and he's writing down my license plate. He's like, he's looking. And all of a sudden, Pete gets out of the, the, the fiat and him getting out of the fiat was like a gorilla getting out of a you know a, a little clown car and he comes running up to the car turns around and grabs the door tries to open up the door the guy's grabbing the door and starts to pull the guy through the, the window of the door and he's you know, who the fuck are you so on and so forth and the guy freaks out and throws in reverse and, and he starts taking off so pete jumps back in the car and i'm, I'm sorry for rambling on but the story is crazy uh, pete jumps back in the, pete jumps back in the uh, car yeah, Pete jumps back in the car, and he's like, we're going to go get this fucker. So then Pete starts chasing this guy. So now I thought I was over with, with these high-speed chases, but now I'm involved with him, but now we're the ones chasing him. Pete's like, I want to find out who this fucker is. And so Pete's chasing him in the Mini Cooper around, and this guy's hauling ass too. This guy does not want to be caught. Up, down this street, running this running this light, you know, taking a right, backing it up, just all sorts of maneuvers you can uh, to try and get away. And Pete's on his ass, but Pete finally loses him. He's like, who do you think that was? I go, I have no idea. I have no idea. I go, I don't know. It's, it's, I, I don't know. And he goes, well, it, wasn't, it couldn't have been the cops. They would have thrown some lights on. And I said, yeah, was that somebody? Is it a hitman? Is somebody trying to? And he goes, I don't know. I mean, would they do in broad daylight? I go, I don't know. Pete, who the fuck is it? He goes, I don't know. So I, I said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back uh, home. And uh, he's like, okay, I'll drop you off at your, at your uh, truck. So he goes, you know what? Let me drop you off at your truck. Um, and I want you to go home. And I'm going to tell you, but I'm back. I'm going to see who <clears throat> I said, okay. So I get in the car and I start driving back to my house the same way that I got in there, except without all the turns. 
And I'm driving, and all of a sudden Pete calls me. He goes, yeah, you got a tail. I go, really? He goes, yeah, he's about two cars back. I said, how do you see him? He goes, because I'm like, I'm, he goes, I'm five cars back. I said, so you're telling him? He goes, oh, yeah, I got, I got the guy. I guess it's the same guy. I, he's on you. I got him. And I said, okay. And he goes, wait a minute. He goes, so there's somebody on me. I said, wait, there's somebody on you. So this guy was tailing me. Pete was tailing him, and there was somebody tailing Pete. Wow. And I said, are you sure there's somebody on me? He goes, yeah, positive. He was a guy on me. And I was like, well, what do you want to do? And he goes, she goes, shake him. He goes, shake him. I'll deal with him. I said, what are you going to do? He goes, don't worry. I'll shake him. I'll deal with him. Are, are you guys so, armed yeah. uh, during this? Or do you I'm have, not. You're, you're not. I'm not. Okay. No, I, I, was back, I was coming back from the gym. I Trust me, I probably would have felt a lot better if I was. Yeah, I was just wondering. I, I just, and, and that the thing is, is the reason why I was thinking, there's no way anybody goes, oh, we should have just seen what they want. Uh-uh. No way. There's no way I'm stopping with a, in, in this situation, not knowing what I'm what I'm walking into. I mean, it's just it, crazy, and it, it's just panic because you know that through this whole time sitting inside of an empty house, you already got somebody took two shots in your window. You you wonder, okay, d- does somebody want me hurt? Yeah, I'm sure that there's. And I was thinking, man, there's some guy, there's some third distant cousin in in a, in a Latin uh, uh, country who probably was getting some money because their cousin played for the big leagues who somehow got busted for this who's not making any more money or maybe there's somebody else who's been out of shape because they're not going to make this Hall of Fame or who knows but people get hurt in this town and for doing what I did people get hurt so I didn't I didn't want to meet up with these people so going back to the thing I'm, I turn on and take this right because again there's a lot of school buses going on there's a lot of people I turn on and make this right and, and as soon as I turn, make the right I'm around this bushy area so I can kind of punch it. I kind of punched and went around a couple of cars, but I got ahead. Well, in my rearview mirror, I see uh, the Pete comes whipping around the first car, made it up to the two cars, whipped around the first car, and kind of like blocked them off, kind of like put the brakes on. And when he did that, the other car pulled up. And I'm driving away, and all I see is him and two cars. Right? And he's getting out of the car. But I'm kind of going, okay, dude, that's on you. You are uh, <laughs> going back for you. So I kind of and I drove up to a, a food stand which was on the road to my house and where people used to go get smoothies after school. And I pulled up there and I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And all of a sudden Pete calls me up and he's like, yeah, cops here. He goes, yeah, there's cops here and everything. And he's like, uh, I go, what are you telling me? He goes, I, I was telling, they were t- sitting here and they're telling the cops that, uh, they're insurance adjusters, and uh, they were, they're looking into your insurance claim. Well, that's 100% bullshit because they're talking about when I got hit by a car six, eight months earlier, and I had pins put in my leg, uh, on my, uh, had knee surgery, uh, uh, pins put in my knee, and uh, it was a settled case. It was a, it was, there was no kind of like fraud or anything like that. I got money and got repaired. I mean, again, bullshit case. But they, but the funny thing is, whoever said that knew about that. But they were like, oh, no, no, we're insurance, so on and so forth. And they were trying to tell the cops that it was Pete who was chasing them and harassing them, so on and so forth. And uh, uh, this, the second guy didn't even bring up my name. He said that he was being chased by Pete, so on and so forth. And so Pete's going, okay, hey, look, did you see this guy? Uh, uh, did you see me jump out of the car and harass anybody? Did you see me do this? And I'm like, no. And he goes, uh, 
are you sure you didn't see that? And I'm like, why is the cop standing right there? And he's like, yeah. And I said, why do I have to say something to get you, uh, out of trouble? He's like, kind of. like he's saying it in front of the cop, the cop here, what I'm saying. And I said, Peter, I really don't want to get involved in this any more than I already am. He's like, all right, don't worry. I, I, I got it. I got it. I got it. So he turned on and, and, and talked his way out of it with the cops. At least the cops didn't arrest him. There actually is, if you go back and look, there's a police report on this because they pulled it out and they turned around, they talked about um, uh, the high speed chase and, and so on and so forth. And they said an unknown party, which was me. Um, but if you looked at the name of the other group, it was called Guide, not Guide Star, but. Um, Again, I'm sorry if I'm bad on the names right now. It kind of sucks, but um, the name of the uh, 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 PI agency, they ended up being private investigators. The name of the PI uh, group was a group that was later contacted by one of the reporters. And when they were asking about the situation and they were saying, yeah, yeah he was, uh, we can't tell you who the client was. We can't tell you who, who, who our employer was, but uh, uh, they're not very good, nice people. And uh, at the time, we uh, we thought that they might have been talking about maybe Alex, somebody from Alex's camp, uh, being the people that hired the private investigators. But later on, it came out to be uh, MLB. It was MLB's private investigators that, that that sent people chasing me around South Miami. So that that makes sense, and that that kind of that's their entry point uh, into your dealings. Then, yeah, it, it's it started. That was like the first experience where. I realized that it wasn't just, you know, little Porter Fisher dealing with Major League Baseball players or, or, you know, Oogie the drug dealer or, or the Carbone wannabe mafia guys or even Bosch. That now I had another player who wasn't didn't seem to be on my side, and it was MLB. And so everywhere I turned, I had somebody that wanted something from me. Uh, couldn't care less whether, you know, I fell off a, you know, a building. <laughs> uh, some, some of them might've even pushed me. Um, but the point where nobody really wanted to decide with me, nobody wanted to, nobody was happy that the story was coming out. The only ones who were happy were the reporters and the papers. Everybody else, it seemed that, that, that they wish I never would, you know, never would have said anything. And you didn't have any allies whatsoever by the sounds of it. No, too. I had I had Tim Elfink. Tim Elfink was the only person that was my ally. And just to clarify one thing, though, that comes to mind, like Pete still seems to care about your safety after that heated conversation in the in the church parking lot. Yeah, and and, and that's if anybody again, maybe I. I, I keep apologizing for it, but maybe, again, maybe it's just my nature, but the thing that hurt the most, like, I didn't have a relationship with Bosch. I mean, the guy, the guy ended up, it was disappointing. Um, I got conned, but at the end of the day, he was a con man. At the end of the day, there was no, like, buddy relationship or this or that, you know? Um, I don't, I don't know, fucking know Alex Rodriguez. I don't, I don't fucking give a damn about Alex Rodriguez. I don't know any of these ball players. I don't know anybody from MLB, you know? Um, I knew the Carbones. They, you know, that Christmas Eve, that Christmas Eve, I was at the right before the story hit. I was at their house and it was a private little get together. And there was only like seven of us. And I was invited. 
right? Um, I, I like them. I, and the shit that they pulled, that was the most disappointing thing. That was the most, um, you know, disheartening and thing out of it all. I felt like I really got betrayed, you know? And uh, so I wanted to believe that when, you know, that, that there was good in Pete. I wanted to believe that, that when he seemed like he cared, that he genuinely cared. I don't know that he did. I don't know that he didn't. I mean, uh, I, if I'd like to believe that he did, but I mean, given everything that him and his brother did, did they probably con me the whole time? But I don't think I don't think they were conning me six years ago when they pretended to be my friend. Then I don't think they were. I don't. None of this stuff was even on the radar. I don't think you know three years before that. You know when you know I'm helping them out and they're folks and doing. I don't think that they to be my friend then you know i guess at the end of the day it came down to what they thought was more important and maybe you know having alex rodriguez's phone and your, your phone number in your phone is more important you know and maybe at the end of the day they were like you know well fuck him let's make some money off of him if he gets mad you know who cares you know that's what it ended up, ended up happening do you think at that point he really had a plan though, like he had that flash drive the whole time. Yeah, I no, I here's the thing. I think I I don't know when it hit him. I mean, it could have hit him as soon as he handed over those books. And he, like it's like and I I gotta believe that he got some money for it. But as soon as some money hit his hand or some gratitude hit him, like you're the man, way to go, and he shook hands with Alex or whatever or Alex is going to have you out on the boat or something for doing this. As soon as he found out that, that he was in or he just saved Alex it by giving it to Alex's people, right? Or whether he had his buddy Dodd patting him on the back saying, oh, hey, next time I train the big show, I'll train with you. Whatever. Maybe that was the starting point. Maybe when he realized how many people were out to get me or how many people wanted to talk to me as far as the story goes or how big nationally, every time you turned on the TV, there was something about the story. Maybe he was like, well, shit, I'm part of this now. Well, how do I? You yeah. Know, people, want, people want Porter so bad because on his information. I got his information right here, too. You know? I just feel like, and I could be wrong, but even as that chase is, is underway, I, I think it's probably that might have been the turning point where he was like, oh, this – is even bigger. He knew it was big, but now it's massive, more massive yeah, than it, he ever thought. And see, that's the thing. I mean, look, do I, Pete didn't know that I was going to call him, but I did. Okay. He couldn't have predicted that if I got chased, that he would be the person I called. Okay. Cause there was a time when we weren't talking. So I called him. The fact that he said, come pick me up means that I don't think he knew who was following me. Now, did he want me to pick him up because he wanted to protect me or did he wanted to out of interest find out who was following me? I don't know. Could be either. All right. But for him to walk up and start to pull somebody out of a car, he was getting violent. Right. Um, if I was that guy, I wouldn't get out of the car either. Right. Um, but he, he wanted to know who this dude was and the fact that he was chasing him means that he wanted answers, you know? Um, he could have just let the guy go, and thus I would have been protected. Do you see? I, I would have been safe. If he would have said, okay, you're safe now, the guy took off. But the fact that he went after the guy means that he, to me, he had a stake in it. He wanted to know who was following and who was following me 
and what the involvement was. Does that mean he would go back and report to somebody? Oh, hey, blank, blank, so-and-so was following Fisher today. Do you see what I'm saying? I don't know why he felt the need to go after the person, but he did, okay? And you're right. Maybe he walks up and goes, hey, now he, he did have a story to tell. Maybe he could walk back up to A-Rod's camp or Uvi's camp and say, hey, uh, so Colin Fisher and I protected who it is, so on and so forth, your info guy. I don't know, but benefit from chasing that or trying to pull a guy out of the car. Yeah, he did. And, and he, you know, for all he knew, he was putting his own personal safety in danger. So it, it just, right. it adds exactly. more curious, more curiosity to, uh, you know, to, to why right. he did get involved. But all right, Porter, you know what? Let's, uh, let's just kind of cut it here. We're at an hour and 20. Um, yeah. we'll pick it where I think this is a good stopping point because there's still plenty of action uh, left. Yeah, and I, I apologize for talking so much. Everybody. It's okay. I've drone on. It's okay. So, um, just for for the listening audience, uh, Porter and I are planning tentatively to do part three. I'm wondering if we're gonna do a four show at this point, just to kind of to get it all in. But him and I will figure that out uh, in the coming days. But uh, Part three, one way or the other, will be recorded uh, a week from today. And uh, for the Red Sox uh, crowd, we are expecting to do a uh, regular Benny and the Bats podcast episode covering the team. We're expecting the punishments to come down uh, at some point this week, possibly as early as uh, Monday. So um, just stay tuned uh, for that and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, we hope you're enjoying this because, y- you know, there's so, especially with this episode, there's just not not much of this was talked about uh, on the documentary. So, um, and, and I'm sure there'll be more details uh, in the next episode as well. So thanks for joining us.